Hello. Hi. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And welcome back to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. What are you looking at? You have popcorn dust on your sleeve. Oh. <laughs> my my pre my pre up snack. Uh, yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Um, you if you're know. not driving a car or you know doing anything else important, go get yourself a little snack snack. Yeah. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. You, you deserve need, a little treat. You need a little snicky snacky. Everyone needs a little snicky snacky. And that's our new philosophy. That's um, my new philosophy. If you're uh, interested in playing along at home, our bingo card, uh, which includes musical reference and or random singing, uh, you can visit our website, thispodcastdoesntexist.com. Dot com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as transcripts and links to our social media. We're <laughs> full NPR. <laughs> what can they find on our social media, Emma? Um, all of the pictures from our episodes. We mostly live on Instagram, although we are active on TikTok as well for all of the good funny bits. We also have lovely meme Mondays and all that fun stuff. So you have, if you have anything that you would like to be showcased, the potential is there. Feel free to write in and give those to us through our website and the big fat juicy button that says write in. Um, we would love to hear from you. Great. <laughs> Thanks to our guest hosts uh, from the previous couple episodes i know last time it was just us but oh yeah we, we didn't, didn't say thank, thank them, you so, so sorry thanks to them thanks professor chris thanks professor holland <laughs> i love it thanks so much ding okay any other silly goofy time you need to get out before um, we start no I, shannon has warned me that this is a sad true crime which makes me think that it's a recent sad true crime um so it will be a very non-silly episode low on the spoofs and goofs today but still important to listen to indeed um so there i'm just gonna give us some content warnings for racism violence uh overdose and death Mm. Uh, it's not a happy one today so if you're not in the mind space that's ready to handle that i recommend going back having a laugh at all of our highly inaccurate taylor swift predictions um <laughs> yes those are we've fun. got like three or four episodes about it uh very excited about the new album we can talk about it later but yeah we got lots of spoofs and goofs back in the archives so if this is not the vibe today that's okay we'll see you next time and we love you and bye but for those of you that are still here and emma who can't run away i'm not allowed to leave this is my house <laughs> <laughs> i mean it would be you're just over on the poof, and all people here are vague, like, no, like, <laughs> sounds of despair I'm coming. allowed. I'm allowed to be in the poof of despair. The poof of despair. Okay, uh, I'm here to tell you about Kelvin Moore, as well as the broader atrocities of the Alabama State Correctional Facility System. Yuck. I mean, yay. <laughs> cool. Cool. Here's some background. As always, with nearly 2 million people behind bars at any given time, the United States has the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. Also along that line, I'm going to read you a portion of an iconic speech from the first episode of The Newsroom. It's an Aaron Sorkin television show. Um, 
very much in the vein of the West Wing, but it takes place, like it covers real life um, news events. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it on the show before. You have, briefly. Like the first episode starts, well, this speech is from like early in the first episode, but the uh, the first, like the news that happens in the first episode is like the, um, I always forget the name, the Deepwater Horizon, like the oil spill oh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Anyway, so to contextualize this, our main news news anchor guy, uh, Will McAvoy, he's like a not... John Stewart, like, it's not comedy. Like, he hosts a real, like, Anderson Cooper. He's, like, a real newsman. And he's on a panel at a college. And this girl comes up and asks the panelists, why is America the greatest country in the world? And he tries to kind of, like, scoot around the answer. But then the, the moderator is like, no, I want an answer from you. And so he ends up saying it's not. It's not the greatest country in the world. So here you go. I'm going to read a little quote. And you, sorority girl. Yeah, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there are some things you should know. And one of them is that there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in medium household income, number four in labor force, and a number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. It's an iconic speech. It's linked in the show notes. And it's quintessentially Aaron Sorkin. Also, the show is just really good. (laughs) Except for the last season. Oh, the last season is trash. Oh, no. But it still has its moments. And I, it's a great ensemble cast. Anyway, so Alabama is one of the worst states in this incarcerated nation to be an inmate. Alabama has one of the highest incarceration rates in the world and sixth highest of all states in the U.S., with its prison system operating at 168% capacity. Yeah. My eyes just got very large. Yeah. About 19,000 men were in Alabama's prison system as of January 2023 in facilities designed to house 11,000. Alabama has attempted to build its way out of the problem, spending nearly $1 billion on a new prison near Montgomery, Alabama, and pledging an additional $600 million to build a second mega prison by 2026. The correctional facilities in this southern state are extremely understaffed, creating dangerous conditions for both inmates and officers. The Alabama Department of Corrections has reported a vacancy rate of nearly 64% in security staffing. Oh. So we're operating at 168% capacity with only 64% of the staff. Great. Wait, 64% vacancy, though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. So, what's math? Just it, un, under <laughs> half of what. Yeah, what you you're need. supposed to have. In 2023, a correctional officer spoke anonymously in an interview, stating, quote, I wouldn't wish prison on my worst enemy. He went on to state, quote, 90% of officers and supervisors are dirty, unquote 
With the majority of prison contraband, cell phones, drugs, weapons, etc., entering the prison via its staff. Alabama's prison system is also one of the most deadly in the country, and the numbers unfortunately continue to rise year to year. Five states had prison mortality rates in 2019 of at least 500 per 100,000 state prisoners. Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Kentucky, according to Bureau of Justice Statistics. In 2001, the number of deaths of state and federal prisoners in Alabama prisons was 87. In 2019, it was 129. In 2020, the number was the highest ever recorded at somewhere between 266 to 274. That was a Sources big vary. jump. Mm-hmm. This tragic record did not hold for long, with the number of 2023 inmate deaths coming in at 337 from October 22 to October 23. Overdoses are rampant in the Alabama system, with the majority of drugs coming in with prison staff, as previously mentioned. The lack of staff also equals less observation, Mm. leaving inmates experiencing an overdose without oversight or assistance in many cases. Quote, that's 16 hours a day. That's every day, the interviewed officer said. If you're lucky, they'll survive. But in the last two months, we've probably had around 30 people die from overdosing, unquote. That's, uh, I feel like I'm going to say this the whole time. It's just wild. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Though violence is a presence in many prisons, it is certainly a known presence in Alabama. Violence between inmates can go unchecked when there are no correctional officers present or on duty. In 2020, TikToks filmed inside an Alabama correctional facility went viral, with the filming inmate walking between rooms and even showing the outdoor area, all while narrating that there were no officers in sight. Um... Wow. Yeah. The officers that are present may be contributing to the violence within the prison's walls. The anonymous officer that was interviewed was open about his use of violence against incarcerated people, stating, quote, I've caught them shooting up several times. I'll take it to the supervisor and they don't want to reprimand them for it. So I go about my way and do it the old fashioned way. I slap the shit out of them, take their stuff and throw it out, unquote. He continues. On a regular daily basis, the inmates go about their normal day. They check out for trade school, and then we open it up. They go walk around, play basketball, catch the snack line, store, whatever. We stay in the dorms. Every now and again, we smack one or two around if we have to. Normally, that's what we do on a daily basis, unquote. Hmm. Inmates are subjected not only to violence, but to filthy living conditions where they are not provided with the proper supplies to upkeep their spaces. And also, like, in these these prisons, it's not like what, it's not like individual jail cells or like two people to a cell. It's like basically a giant room with a bunch of bunk beds. Yeah. Which also can contribute to the violence because if you think about, like, if you had your own cell, maybe you just had to worry about like your roommate touching your stuff, your cellmate, not your roommate. But you know, hopefully you can get to a place where like you two feel like at a truce, but you're just in an open space. You're like constantly on high alert. People are going to, you know, 
be more sensitive about their space and like that can't be helpful. In some cases, inmates with medical needs are also neglected. Bernard Jemison, currently incarcerated at Ventress Correctional Facility in Clayton, Alabama, has posted numerous videos on social media depicting fellow prisoners who say they've received little to no medical attention for chronic or debilitating medical issues. Individuals in the videos discuss ailments ranging from untreated psoriasis infections, broken ribs, untreated surgery complications, and chronic untreated pain. One of my sources shared the story of a man who needs a colostomy bag due to a medical condition. The average patient with that condition needs around 60 bags per month. This inmate receives 10 if he's lucky. Oi. The prison system's overcrowding is partially due to an influx of individuals with mental health challenges. According to The Guardian, a Alabama closed down most hospitals for the mentally ill in 2013. So, like, people who don't need to be in prison but need are care. there. Yeah. But they're not even getting care. Yeah. So, it's just adding to the problem. The overcrowding of Alabama's prisons is also impacted by the recently passed Deputy Brad Johnson Act, which severely reduced the amount of early release time inmates can accrue for good behavior. The Alabama Daily News writes, quote, Patrick Austin Hall, the former inmate who shot and killed Bibb County Deputy Johnson in 2022, was released for good behavior that same year. Something supporters of reducing inmates' good behavior incentives often point to as justification. Others, however, have argued that the good behavior incentives were never the issue, as Hall had led police on a chase in a stolen vehicle in 2019 after escaping from prison, something that should have excluded him from an early release. You would think. Yeah. You run away from work, the work line and you steal a car, You, I would think that would kind of bump you to the back of the line for getting out early. Or at least it should. Yeah. The state's parole grant rate has dropped from more than 50% in 2018 to less than 8% in 2023. Whoa. So you figure that's not helping with the overpopulation issue either. Not at all. No. And I am going to assume that the majority of these people in here are probably not in for extreme violent crimes i actually have a quote about this wonderful thank you so this is also this chunk is from alabama daily news defenders of the parole board including alabama attorney general steve marshall have said it's hard to parole people when 83 percent of the prison population is violent offenders representative matt simpson a republican from daphne um, i'm assuming county a member of both the Prison Oversight Committee and the House Judicial Committee has also defended the sh state's shrinking parole rate given that the, quote, overwhelming majority of people in prison are there for serious offenses. That 83% figure of Alabama's prison population being violent offenders, which comes from the Alabama Sentencing Commission's 2022 report, however, has been in dispute. 
with ADOC's own 2022 report showing the prison population to instead comprise of 67.5% violent offenders. Which is considerably fewer. Correct. I mean, still a lot, but that shouldn't equate to right. 110% or whatever the number percentage was of this well, population overflow. I, I would argue that you would... Like, if the prison system worked the way it's touted to work, right? Like, we're reforming, we're making people think about the bad things they did and feel bad and get out into the world. All your minor offenders would move through so quickly that you would have a higher percentage Mm -hmm. of violent offenders because the people who don't need to be in serious prison aren't there. Like, they're serving time in county jail. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. That if the lesser offenses are able to actually do what the system says they're supposed to do and be rehabilitated. Right. Like, they're getting out And then the actual percentage of people in prison are, it would be a percentage that is high because those are the people who If we had the resources that, like, the people who are mentally ill are being helped in other facilities, the people who you know, have drug offenses, nonviolent, are being helped in other ways. Like, because, you know, I will admit I am not as educated about prison reform as I could or should be. So my gut reaction is to be like, yeah, if someone has killed somebody, I would prefer them to not be out and about. But then it's the nuances of... But like... You know what I mean? But, yeah. like, if someone's selling weed, I don't care. As long no. as they're not, like, shooting people while they're doing that. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. exploiting people or anything like yeah. that. Um, yeah. I think, too, there's also the consideration of what they go into prison for versus other offenses that may be on their... Like, so having a nonviolent offense shouldn't necessarily yeah. be a reason why you're kept in a high security prison with people who are violent yeah well there i didn't include it in the show notes i don't think but there was an example i think it's called like the apple seed coalition or something it's a, an organization that works to prevent these kinds of things but it was sharing the story of this man who went to prison because he stole fifty dollars but because he had three minor offenses previously on his record, he was essentially sentenced to death in Alabama. Luckily, somebody, like, caught it, it, and a judge was like, yeah, that's messed up. And he was paroled and, like, is living his best life. And, you know, he works, he, like, has a job, all these things. But it's like, yeah, $50. Yeah, it's not something like I think that's what I was getting at to have offenses on your record and then go into the system with another minor offense. But purely because you have other offenses on your record, you end up with violent people in prison. Yeah. And then they're all just put in the general population. And then that rate of actual rehabilitation turnover gets increasingly lower and lower because these people are put into traumatic situations where they're not taken care of yeah well like in the article in the show notes that's talking about this act that the deputy johnson act that recently passed um in response to that 
person that had escaped from prison killing someone after he got out early. There's a mother who's sharing her son was in, I don't remember for what crime, but like he he was collecting good behavior and was due to be out in like four months. And then he got written up or whatever for assault that was really self-defense. And now he's lost all this ability and he will be in for another 35 years. Oh. Because of how dramatic this act is on top of all the other BS that's already in the legal system. So, yeah. A lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Alabama in Montgomery in December 2023 alleges that Alabama prison labor is sustained by punishing those who refuse to work or those who encourage other prisoners to refuse to work. It also accuses public and private entities, ranging from local governments to fast food restaurants and grocery stores, of benefiting from the labor. The Alabama Department of Corrections responded by stating that it does not comment on ongoing litigation. Okay. Sure. Uh, And then this next chunk is from uh, the Alabama Reflector. Janet Harold, legal director at Justice Catalyst Law and an attorney representing the plaintiffs, compared the current system to Alabama's convict leasing system, which ran from the 1870s to 1928. Under convict leasing, private companies paid the state for uncompensated labor by state inmates, most of whom were black, to work in degrading and often deadly conditions. Quote, we're not talking here today about a new Jim Crow. We're talking about the old Jim Crow, Harold said. In 2022, Alabama voters, along with four other states, voted to close the loophole in the 13th Amendment, calling for the state to stop forcing prisoners to work for free, though this doesn't prevent prisons from having prisoners work for wages as low as $2 per hour in some cases. Research published by Vera, an organization, quote, powered by hundreds of researchers and advocates working to transform the criminal, legal, and immigration systems until they're fair for all, unquote, shows that Though black Americans make up only 28% of Alabama's state population. I'm going to hate this number. They accounted for 43% of jail populations in 2015 and 54% of prison inmates in 2017. That makes me really sad. Because what it says to me is not just an unjust justice system for these individuals but also unjust community systems and spaces that they don't have the resources and ability and capacity to escape this cycle being pressed upon them Mm -hmm. i don't like it the origins of prisons in the south owe much to racial injustice including the black codes following the end of slavery which included broad vagrancy laws, meaning that any person caught unemployed, begging, or unhoused, to name a few, would be put into prison. It's also how jaywalking became an offense, like something that you can get a ticket for crossing the street without uh, 
doing it when you're supposed to. Just, you know, silly. So this lawsuit that was filed in December of 2023 claims Alabama made almost half a billion dollars from prison labor in 2023. And there are plans to go to trial for this case in November of this year. Mm. Lawsuits were filed against the Alabama prison system as early as the 1970s. Yet corruption and inadequate care continued, despite additional suits in 2017, 2020, and now 2023. Multiple families have reported that they were not notified of their incarcerated loved ones' assaults or deaths until days after the fact. Mm. Which brings us back to Kelvin Moore. On July 21st, 2023, Agolia Moore was already in bed when the chaplain at Limestone Correctional Facility in Harvest called to inform her that her youngest son, Kelvin Moore, had died from a fentanyl overdose. He was 43. She had spoken to her son on the phone just 90 minutes prior to his death. It wasn't until six days later that Moore's body was delivered to his hometown, which is about 350 miles from the prison. Because he died in custody, Moore's body was first sent to the University of Alabama at Birmingham, which conducts autopsies for the Alabama Department of Corrections. Mm. But when his remains arrived in Mobile, the family's mortician discovered that someone had taken out most of his internal organs. To what end? Um, I'm going to read you a quote. Um, so the, this article that I'm about to quote is from news offshoot called Anscape. And... The author, Roxanne Gay, linked it in her newsletter, and that's how I came to find it, and that that was really my jumping off point for this episode. Love Roxanne Gay. Yeah. Uh, also a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> yes, she is. On a lighter note. She's also a fan of the movie Ambulance, which is an awful movie, but she loves it <laughs> so much. Okay, so this is a quote from Anscape. Birmingham civil rights attorney Lauren Ferreno is investigating the case of Moore's missing organs. The controversy has ensnared the university's medical school, a cherished Alabama institution, which reportedly has been doing autopsies for the state's prison system since 2006. Quote, it's a systematic abuse situation, Ferreno said. UAB has been taking the organs of incarcerated people without family consent for years now, and we have a handful of families that have come forward who discovered that their loved ones were returned without their organs. Mm. But so many of these cases went completely unnoticed because families don't typically think they need to do a second autopsy. Many of them can't afford it, even if they wanted to, unquote. Two of the university's former medical students say they discovered that the hospital school personnel were retaining some inmate organs without family consent in 2018. They said they tried to get the university to change its practices, but were shut down. According to the former students, their complaints about the university using cadaver organs without consent led to an ethics committee hearing on the issue in September 2018. The former students said school administrators told them they had permission to harvest 
prisoner organs because they had a sign-off from wardens in the facilities where the inmates died. Because technically, the warden, well, not, sorry, not that horrific. At least they didn't come out and say that. But technically, the warden is the next of kin or like the. Because they're in the prison. Yeah. Which (sighs) is pretty fucked, if you pardon my French. Even. Even even when they have family, like when the chaplain called Calvin's mother he asks, like, who's over him? Like, who? And she's like, I'm his mother. He doesn't have a wife or yeah, anything. Yeah. Like, I, I'm i speaking for him. I don't know. I un- I understand that conceptually. I, under- I understand like, that if it's, like, someone who has no one else in the world. Like, a ward of the state situation. But what I don't understand is after death, you're giving these people's bodies back to their families in the understanding that they are next of kin so while these people are alive i'm sure this is not the actual like train of thought obviously so but while they are still alive next of kin is warden because that is where they are they are serving time after death that doesn't make sense to me unless the state county prison is paying for and burying right this person exactly yeah i that's that that's my opinion (laughs) anscape obtained notes from the students kept in 2018 in which they wrote that university officials told them they tended to use inmate specimens because those frequently had a more dramatic pathology than those of non-inmates. Quote, they keep them because it's easier to teach lung pathology from a two-inch tumor than a two-millimeter tumor, one former student said. People who are incarcerated have two-inch tumors because they don't get health care. So it's just extra evil. It's I like don't... we're going to allow them to be sick and not give them care while they're alive. And then after they're dead, we're going to steal their organs to teach. It's giving Burke and Hare. Like it's giving the kind of like, well, we need this thing in order to, I don't know, help grander society. So some people can suffer for that issue right but we get to choose who that is also this feels like an issue that can be very easily solved by giving inmates the option like with organ donors they are not allowed to do that well sorry shannon shannon just gave me a a a finger she gave me a a pointer finger (laughs) to say one second specifically (laughs) so i'm i'm interrupting you to say so that's one of the sources um that was speaking to calvin's family his brother says like i'm sure there are families who would be willing to donate but it should be their option to check the box and like you know there's some religions where the body is not considered whole and can't be buried buried. or like can't be reincarnated or whatever their belief system is you're gonna get ready to get even more mad yay in july 2021 
A bill signed by Alabama Governor Kay Ivey went into effect designed to prevent forensic personnel from retaining organs after autopsies without permission from next of kin. But that doesn't seem to have stopped the state or the university from doing so. Again, because in their mind, they're like, well, the warden is the person who signs the form and they rarely check the box that's like, don't do an organ harvesting or whatever. When the Moore family's mortician, Samuel Jackson, discovered the absence of Calvin's organs, he contacted the man's brother, Simone Moore. The pair contacted the university. Simone Moore demanded the medical school return Moore's organs to the family. However, Jackson said the supervisor they spoke with told him the organs were being kept for, quote, further study. Again, to what end? Yeah, right. On July 28th, a Friday, Simone and his sister, Monica Kaiser, showed up at the university to retrieve their brother's organs. The university gave Simone a red viscera bag, which they said contained the organs. Simone Moore took a picture of himself with the red bag on the university campus and another at the church once he and Monica drove back to Mobile. Quote, he meant the world to us. We doted on him, loved him, said Simone of his baby brother. Kelvin was the youngest of 10. Of 10. Oh. And there was like a decade between him and the, his next, the next youngest. Oh, wow. So he was the baby of the family. Oh. Moore was buried the next day with the red bag, which the family never unsealed, placed in his casket. I don't like this The family doesn't know for sure if his organs were in the bag. They never got them tested. Which, again, there's a cost associated, I assume. And they shouldn't have to. They've already had this traumatic thing happen. Yeah. The Moore family, however, is not alone in this gruesome mystery. Calvin's case bears strikingly eerie similarities to those of Charles Singleton and Brandon Dotson, who were both prison inmates and died in the custody of the Alabama Department of Corrections. Singleton, 74, died more than two years ago at a hospital that provides care for older inmates. Dotson, 43, was found dead in November 2023 in his cell at Ventress Correctional Facility. Similar to Moore, the University of Alabama at Birmingham also conducted Singleton's autopsy, and his body was returned to his family, missing all of his organs, including his brain. (gasps) Yeah. In Dodson's case, the Alabama Department of Corrections conducted his autopsy, but an independent pathologist later discovered that his heart was missing after his body was returned to his family members severely decomposed. Like, yeah. Dodson's is not the only case in which inmates' bodies were already well into decomposition by the time they arrived at families' funeral homes of choice, leaving them with the option of cremation or a closed casket. And then I wrote, have some damn respect and treat people like people. Well, and like you pointed out, for some people's beliefs and religions, they can't have a closed casket or they can't have a cremation without a viewing like with Quakers, they can't, they, they have to have a viewing. It's it's part of their tradition. Yeah. And like anyone who's Jewish has to have, they have to shiva. Sh- sit shiva. Like it's, 
basic human rights are not being respected and it's unfortunately it's not wild to me that's that's (laughs) fair i think in in my head it's it's mostly the paperwork thing that is really like it it, it's it's so easy to fix it's just there it's just it's just really like turtles all the way down because it's that but then it's also like bodies aren't being stored properly which is why they yeah why they're decomposing yeah and like and they're just taking their sweet old time and they're not even telling the families until days afterwards after they've already probably taken uh organs yep Mm mm-hmm i wish i had a positive thing to wrap it up with both moore's and singleton's families also plan to file a lawsuit against the state i know calvin moore's family mentioned that they might exhume his body so that they can test those organs Mm. um so i guess in in that case it would be helpful that they're still in that bag and theoretically they can figure out preserved or uh, testable at least testable probably um decomposing at a slower rate maybe i i'm on i don't know but uh yeah i don't i don't really know what to say um do your research, donate places if you can, you know, call your representatives or message them and make them realize that we are paying attention, to, that, that there's a lot of terrible things happening in the world right now, but we should all still be paying attention. Ding. The end. <laughs> I want to bring up that there are... There are ways that you as a civilian individual can help with prisons in your area in ways that are meaningful. Unfortunately, not all of us are forensic <laughs> pathologists who can, you know, help out in uh, those kinds of meaningful ways. But there are, I think every state or pretty much every state, and I know federal prisons have um, literacy programs for mm-hmm. their inmates, but they also have book lists for uh, that are coming from inmates who are asking for uh, specific books. Either they are school books or they are um, history books. Sometimes, a lot of the time, they're novels, a lot of escapism. Um, but the most requested books are dictionaries mm-hmm. because they're a lot of... A lot of people who are in these systems tend to be on the younger side. Um, a lot of people have not finished education up to a certain point. And dictionaries are extremely helpful because they're learning English. They're learning their language. But other language books are also highly requested, like Spanish language books yeah. and uh French language books and things like that. So if that's something that interests you, I'm going to find the link for, I think, the federal program. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, if you Google, like, your state and, like, prison. Yeah. Definitely check the resources that are listed um, because I know when I worked at the bookstore, we would donate, like, arcs and things. But there are certain regulations of, like, certain genres that aren't allowed or formats, um, like, not hardcover books or things like that. But I'm sure it varies system to system. Yeah. And they will have, usually, a list of requested books that you don't have to go out and physically buy, but you are able to donate money towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's something that you are interested in, I know from us two book girlies, that's something that definitely interests me yep. and uh, is a meaningful way to engage in the system. Yes. Yes. 
So it, I, it, in that way, a, a bit of a lighter note. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, st- pay attention. Thanks for sitting with this. We know that yeah. it's hard for a lot of people, but it is important. Yeah. Stay um, plugged in. Pay attention. Until next time, remember. This podcast doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. And take care of yourself because that matters too. Goodbye. Bye. This episode was researched, co-produced, and marketed by Shannon McCarthy. Co-produced and edited by Emma Kiley. Our theme song was composed and performed by Tom Emsley-Smith. The mailbag theme music was composed by Liam Kiley. <laughs>